Hello, my name is Alan Mulhan. Welcome to the last in this mini-series on Answer to Job. Some announcements. Firstly, with respect to the frequency of these episodes, there will be a short podcast at the end of the year on 28th of December. Subsequently, in the coming year, the frequency will be once a month instead of the present timing of once every three weeks. I will release episodes mid-month, usually around the 15th. So the first one in the new year will be January the 15th, 2023, the second February the 15th, and so on. As well as giving me a little more space, I'm hoping that this will further minimise confusion between the Spanish language episodes, which are usually on the first of the month, and what is to be now the English-speaking episodes at mid-month. There have been times when their release dates are very close and it was easy to get muddled. Secondly, the Quest series of lectures is starting again in the new year on January the 28th, 2023 and will typically be on the last Saturday of eight months of the year. The programme will be available shortly on my website, alamulhern.com. Its aim is to explore the crises of our time and visionary responses to it. It covers a lot of psychological, political, economic, mystical and archetypal material. My kind of stuff. It is available online, has the opportunity of questions and responses from myself, as well as discussion. Unlike the podcasts and some other provision that I make, This is not free, but has a price attached. Actually, a very reasonable one. Thirdly, from January the 3rd, there is starting again the popular Secret of the Golden Flower meditation programme, which is a daily half-hour meditation done at our own homes for 100 days, typically in the morning, on rising, but accompanied by a study of the Taoist text, The Secret of the Golden Flower actually one that influenced Carl Jung very deeply. This programme will therefore last from January the 3rd until April the 7th, which is Easter Thursday, 2023. Which feels appropriate. We meditate and study with the growing light, starting in the dark point of the year, leading up to the rebirth, the Easter period, and spring. That is, providing you are in the Northern Hemisphere. Fourthly, for those of you who would like further exploration of Young's answer to Job, I shall be giving an online talk for the Young Club London on the evening of Friday 10th of February 2023, entitled Young's Answer to Job, Exploring the Dark Side of God and the Apocalypse. The information will appear shortly on their website, which is www.youngclub.com. London.org. Now returning to what is our last episode exploring Jung's answer to Job. Firstly, what is Jung's main argument? God is the central force of the unconscious, which has meaning and purpose in bringing consciousness into existence. It wishes therefore to flow into the light of human consciousness. However, this is not straightforward. 
there is also great resistance. The unconscious wants, at the same time, to remain unconscious and resists the differentiating logical, principled or sometimes moral tendencies of consciousness. So there is a tension of opposites. However, the God image, as he often calls it, cannot be distinguished from the unconscious. Young comments in answer to Job. The God image is the archetype of the self and the wholeness to which it tends. To clarify, the self is not our self-image nor any conscious personal image. It is the archetype of wholeness in the psyche, originating in the unconscious. It is the architect of personal growth, the individuation process, which is a movement towards integration and wholeness of the psyche, a natural process that originates in the deep psyche. The God image arises not from human reasoning or conscious reflection, but from the unconscious, from the deep psyche. Young adds, quote, We cannot tell whether God and the unconscious are two different entities. Unquote. Young frequently uses the term God image because it arises out of the unconscious, like in dreams or visions, changes over time and is rooted in transcendental experience. God is the archetype of this self, capital S, the archetype of wholeness, and it brings in evil and goodness at the same time, that is, the two sides of God, which are also the two sides of human consciousness. For the sake of clarity, at this stage, and for most of the text, Jung is using the term archetype of wholeness, signifying the totality of the unconscious. At a much later point, towards the end of Answer to Job, this changes. The history of Western Judaism and Christianity shows a struggle with the dark side of God, despite its wishes for perfection and a totally good God. This means also that this is a history that struggles with the dark side of the human psyche. Yahweh starts as a nature God, with the dark and the light in the unity, a complexio oppositorum. Job, who symbolises human self-reflection and consciousness, calls him to account, since he experiences Yahweh as a contradiction of opposites. Some centuries later, Yahweh's eventual answer to Job, for the injustice done to him, is the incarnation of Christ, says Jung, which is an attempt to create a totally consistent and perfect God. However, the dark, neglected sides of the God image insist on returning with the crucifixion and the book of Revelation, which is the mother of all apocalypses and is a compensatory movement against the excessive one-sided attempt at perfectionism in Christianity. Our contemporary capacity to auto-destruct with nuclear weapons means we have to become conscious of and to integrate the dark side of ourself, which is also the God image. Young comments, quote, Since man has been granted an almost godlike power, he can no longer remain blind and unconscious. He must know something of God's nature and of metaphysical processes, if he is to understand himself. To translate, mankind has to become truly aware of the enormous forces within its own psyche 
and then integrate them in order to survive. The neglected side of the God image, the feminine, must also be integrated so as to create greater wholeness and to balance out the one-sided masculinity of Christianity and indeed of modern civilization. A contemporary apocalypse, Young says, is quite possible, even probable, given the dark side of our nature, which is also the dark side of God, and the weapons of mass destruction available. The summary of Young's argument is probably just as difficult as reading the text itself, but there is no getting away from the complexity of this work. I don't believe it can be made easy. So now we come on to the main part of this episode. What difficulties or inconsistencies are there in the text, first of all? Firstly, much of Answer to Job seems to be an appeal to update Christianity in the light of the contemporary nuclear danger to human existence. Young is writing in the early 1950s, shortly after the bombing of Japan that ended World War II. However, for a great deal of the modern world, and long before Young, Christianity was fast fading and the world was becoming atheistic. This trend has continued unabated. In addition, Christianity has long been jettisoned as a central guiding principle of the state. To add to this, the Chinese and Russian revolutions took large swathes of the world population into communism, which has been extremely hostile to traditional religions, while India has engaged with modernisation, which has also led to a decline of traditional belief. Only Islam has asserted itself against this tendency, with its determination to preserve its identity against what it perceives as Western dominance, corruption and moral depravity. Christianity is faced not with an update, but a radical overhaul if it is to survive at all. The exposures of abuse in the Catholic Church in recent decades have led to further significant decline, even in countries that were once bastions of belief, for example Ireland. The modern reader may well skim-read Answer to Job and find it off-putting. All this talk of God and Christianity belongs to the past and is only relevant to the historian. And as for the possibilities of a modern apocalypse, our reader may see its contemporary relevance but fail to see the dark side of God in it. Surely it's the dark side of our own psyche that needs addressing and the more we leave God out of it, the better. Surely, the modern reader may insist, all this history of God is a projection of the human psyche into the heavens. We don't have to refer to God anymore. It just creates confusion and, moreover, division. The modern reader believes in evolution anyway, and here there is little room for God. Let's just try and deal with ourselves. Answer to Job, therefore, has a key problem of relevance. What is its relevance? In fairness, Young hints at an answer to this. He says, quote, Psychologically, the God concept includes every idea of the ultimate, of the first or last, the highest or lowest. The name makes no difference. Unquote. This could be extended to the theory of evolution, and one might say that it does not matter 
what we call the ultimate forces that have produced us, be they called God or evolution, it does not matter. Because the dark and the light, the creative and destructive, good and evil, are still the templates of our consciousness. However, although we know that Answer to Job was the one book Young said he would never have altered, a much stronger case for its relevance to the agnostic or atheist community would have been useful. It's not as if Young had not frequently addressed the gravity of the modern situation for its lack of a guiding myth. Towards the end of his life, in Memories, Dreams, Reflections, for example, he says, quote, Evil today has become a visible great power. Half of humanity battens and grows strong on the doctrine fabricated by human reason. The other half succumbs from the lack of a myth commensurate with the situation. Unquote. With respect to the criticism from the atheist that reality has nothing to do with God, which is a pure invention, Young, with his capacity for incisive and deeply challenging statements, says, quote, It was only quite late that we realised, or are beginning to realise, that God is reality itself, and therefore, last but not least, man. This realisation is a millennial process. Unquote. When Young implies that the God image is symbolic, this word symbolic is being used in a special sense. It does not mean that it, in this case the God image, is not real. Quite the contrary, the symbolic is more real for Young than the phenomenal world that we suppose to be real. The symbolic is psychically real because this is the way the archetypes and the deep psyche express themselves. Above all, it is the way the most important archetype of all, the self or the archetype of the God image, is expressed through dreams, myths, visions, music, art, poetry and the world of the symbolic. The God image and the unconscious, to repeat, for young, cannot be distinguished from each other. Quote, both are borderline concepts for transcendental contents. Unquote. So, our first difficulty with the text is that many readers would find it difficult to see its relevance. Secondly, the dimensions of history, politics and social science are lacking in the text. As explained in the last episode, this was because Jung did not believe these subjects had much to offer at all. They were explanations that came from the top layers of consciousness, whereas he searched in the unconscious for his explanations. However, this ignoring of the analytic disciplines just mentioned creates an isolation, a kind of bubble effect by which everything is interpreted in metaphysical terms or by reference to the unconscious. While fascinating, it can feel very ungrounded. Thus, by way of example, in chapter 2, he says, quote, Nevertheless, the drama of Job's story has been enacted in the unconscious and a scandal was blowing up in the metaphysical realm. Whether at that stage it had reached mankind's consciousness or not. Unquote. At first reading, it sounds as if the drama between Yahweh, Satan, and Job is totally taking place in the heavens, for which mankind is a passive chorus. But what is implied in this is that, symbolically speaking, 
the drama, the scandal of Yahweh's behaviour to Job, is working in the deep psyche, for which there will be consequences for consciousness sooner or later. Moreover, Yahweh was in cahoots with Satan, and for that there are consequences sooner or later also. That sound is a black and white jackdaw outside of my window, making a timely entrance. The black and white jackdaw is a close relative of the crow, which is all black. So the jackdaw at my window, being black and white, would carry both the dark and the light, the two sides of the spirit image. I shall have to think what this synchronicity is communicating. In my imagination, my active imagination, it communicates to me that I am underestimating the two sides of God, the dark and the light, the good and the evil, and that I should take them more into account. I thought to leave these sounds in the recording rather than delete them. Firstly, I thought for your amusement, but secondly, for me to reflect upon more. Mm. So to continue. Thus, young... I'm not getting away with this. My active imagination tells me now from this last communication from the jackdaw, who is saying, that is right, you should not underestimate it. Please continue. Thus, Jung views mythology and metaphysical narratives as symbolic of the psyche and its dramas. Nevertheless, while being a fascinating idea, it does sound metaphysically encapsulated. More importantly, what was happening in Jewish history at that time is irrelevant. The same applies to Jung's discussion of the Judaic apocalyptic literature of Ezekiel, Daniel and Enoch. Jung talks of it as God entering into mankind, and with it his dark side enters as well. But there is no reference to Jewish history, the exile into Babylon and the first destruction of the temple being the most obvious events. Even more astounding, Jung's account of the Book of Revelation of the New Testament, written in 95 AD, makes no reference to the events of the time that had an enormous, one might say, apocalyptic effect upon the Jewish people, and this extended to Christians as well. As explored in the last episode of this mini-series, the book was written in the middle of the three extremely brutal Roman-Jewish wars, in which it has been estimated that about two million Jews were killed, the temple destroyed for the second time, and a great diaspora took place. The Romans, enraged with Jewish revolts, were determined to destroy the Jewish people. The book was written in the reign of the emperor Domitian, well known for his persecutions of the Christians. John of Patmos, the author of the book of Revelation, was a Jewish Christian prisoner on the island of Patmos by order of the emperor. Why is there no reference to any of these historical events? How can these be irrelevant? Apocalyptic literature originates and thrives in traumatised peoples. It is common to either blame oneself in some way for the trauma or seek revenge, at least in fantasy. Are not these obvious themes in trying to understand 
the apocalyptic and later millenarian literature. So, the second weakness of Answer to Job is isolationism, by which events of great significance are interpreted through a very narrow lens and all other interpretations are dismissed. Thirdly, again perhaps as a result of the admittedly emotional nature of the work, the reader might be puzzled by some inconsistencies. For example, the numerous representations of the God image, one moment a personality such as Yahweh, full of opposites, the next a complexio oppositorum, and so on. So the third difficulty is inconsistency, although this is a minor point, so I won't persist with other examples. Fourthly, and not so much an inconsistency, but a contradiction. For the majority of the text, the God image is presented as the archetype of the self, in the sense of the totality of the psyche. If God is the totality, then he is everything, both dark and light, good and evil, and so on. Much of Jung's argument seems to revolve around this point. Evil belongs on the dark side of the God image, which is indistinguishable from our consciousness. Well, that may be difficult to grasp, but it is logical. However, Jung then changes this logic entirely. He says at the end of chapter 19, quote, Strictly speaking, the God image does not coincide with the unconscious as such, but with a special content of it, namely the archetype of the self. So here, the archetype of the self is not the totality. He explains, quote, But empirically it can be established that there is in the unconscious an archetype of wholeness, which manifests itself spontaneously in dreams and a tendency to relate other archetypes to the centre. Consequently, it does not seem improbable that the archetype of wholeness occupies as such a central position which approximates it to the God image. Unquote. So here, the God image, or the archetype of wholeness, that is the self, big S, is not the totality of the psyche, or the totality of the unconscious, but rather a specific component of it, a centre around which other archetypes are related. The archetype of wholeness is still the God image, but now it can't be the totality since it is part of it. There is also a problem that, up to now, Jung often described the God image as identical with the unconscious. But what about consciousness? In this scheme of things, is not consciousness also the creation of God? Why is this left out of the description of the God and the self-archetype? Personally, I find the second explanation, archetype of wholeness and the God image as a specific, though central archetype, much more coherent with my practice as a psychotherapist. What manifests in the psyche at times of transformation, growth and change seems more like a specific force or archetype which has the power to become the centre of the psyche, the psyche understood as the unconscious and consciousness. It, the archetype of wholeness and the self, has transformative impact on all other areas of the psyche, it manifests in dreams, visions, trance states and so forth. Therefore, we now have a problem for answer to Job, 
If the God image, the archetype of wholeness, is, as just described, a specific centre or archetype around which the rest of the unconscious is attempting to relate, then how can evil be part of that centre? Darkness, negativity, trauma, malevolence, narcissistic appetite, highly aggressive impulses, forces of destruction of life, belong in the rest of the psyche, both conscious and unconscious. The archetype of wholeness has the capacity to transform them and enlist the ally of consciousness. This is the realm of transformation and healing in the psyche. So from this perspective, evil is not rooted in the Godhead, but rather in the human psyche. So, the fourth difficulty with the text is contradiction. Fifthly, one of the main problems of the text is its inherent difficulty. It can never be a popular read, like Memories, Dreams and Reflections, or Modern Man in Search of a Soul. Another very difficult text of Young's is The Red Book, only recently published in 2009. However, that is lavishly produced, beautifully bound, with wonderful pictures and impressive printing. Even without reading, the book is a work of art and a great pleasure to hold in one's hands, providing one is capable of holding this enormous book. Answer to Job has none of these advantages and only relies on its own merits, its ideas. Perhaps one day somebody might illustrate it chapter by chapter and thus aid the struggling reader. So, from my point of view, those are the main difficulties I experience with the text. These difficulties are, in summary, firstly, its relevance, secondly, isolationism, its removal from the disciplines of history, politics and social science, and so on, thirdly, certain inconsistencies, which may confuse the reader, fourthly, contradiction, the so-called theological problem of whether the archetype of the self is the totality or a specific archetype within it, and fifthly, the inherent difficulty of the text. Naturally, the manner in which the book was written can explain all these problems. If it were not for the elevated and passionate outpouring that came from Jung, it may never have been written. Next, we look at the strengths of Answer to Job, which are enormous. My impression of these include, firstly, a book written in Jung's 75th year, as he was emerging from fever. It flowed out of him as if composing music, like Handel or Bach, the only book he would never have changed. A book he declares as unreservedly emotional, rising to the height, nevertheless, of great theological argument, because, really, the title could have been Answer to Yahweh, rather than to Job. But even so, what a title. What a nerve. This was a book very close to his heart, his essential private truth. So, the first strength of this work is its passion and tremendous personal conviction from one of the great thinkers and writers of modern times. Secondly, it is rooted in childhood experiences, visions, dreams and so on, which give the work an aura, as if it was Young's destiny to write this book. Thirdly, Answer to Job has extra depth 
because of the number of esoteric traditions it is linked to. For example, the idea of two sides of God is not a personal idiosyncrasy of Young's. There are other traditions which believe this. Shiva in Hindu mythology is often portrayed as carrying the fire of destruction in one hand and the drum of creation in the other. The Manichaeans of Persia also believed in the dual forces in the heavens and how mankind was made as a mixture of the light and the dark. The Zoroastrians also believed in the two sides of God. Other traditions that Young linked to in answer to Joe were the Gnostics, the alchemists. He spoke from deep knowledge of alchemical texts, making direct reference to that tradition when he was referring to uniting symbols, for example the child, that take the opposites to a new level of integration. Other roots were in the wisdom traditions of the Old Testament, which along with the Gnostics and the Kabbalah pointed to the absence of the feminine in Yahweh and the need to incorporate the lost Sophia. For Jung, this became a major challenge and criticism of contemporary civilization. In answer to Job, as I have pointed out, Jung speaks with many voices, as it were, out of the depth of many traditions, including those just mentioned. Once one realises which voice he is switching to, then deeper appreciation of this text is possible. Fifthly, the next strength that I see is the audacity of the text, which is both radically conservative and challenging to the modern world. For example, Jung may seem at one point to be talking the same language as Christians. Thus, he appears to be conservative, but radically so because he insists that the God image is rooted in our unconscious. He is also deeply challenging to Christianity and the modern world because he argues that the God image carries the dark side within it as well as the good and the creative. Thus, from appearing to be Christian, he suddenly has switched to his Gnostic voice. Sixth. However, very importantly, Jung uses a new voice and a new evolving tradition that he himself invented, that of archetypal psychology, which besides being connected to the above traditions, is grounded in psychotherapeutic work in the deep psyche, which is rooted in human suffering and the transformation of the psyche. This gives this text great power and incisiveness. Seventh, thus, Answer to Job reinforces Jung's impact on the practice of psychotherapy, for example with respect to the vital importance of the shadow and its integration, the centrality of the self, the natural healing functions of the unconscious, and the role of the transcendent in the work. Eighth, Answer to Job has a deep theological critique of Christian and Judaic civilizations, as indicated above and in the previous episodes. Ninth, Jung insisted on the dangers of an apocalypse in our times. This is dark and difficult material. However, remarkably, he also suggested that there is a collective individuation process in the middle of it. Drawing on his experience of psychotherapy, he said that if we could proceed through it consciously, then salvation was possible. But if we proceed unconsciously, as he observed to be the case in his day, then the prospects were grim. Tenth, 
Finally, in this, as well as in much of his work, Jung pointed to the overarching metaphysical dimension to human existence. The apocalypse itself has immense metaphysical significance. In my view, it is vital to think of it from this perspective. Quite simply then, there are very few works by any author to match the scope and reach of this book. He can be accused of metaphysical isolationism, obscurantism and remote mysticism, all feelings that I have experienced reading much of his later work. Nevertheless, I can't help shake off the feeling that he is somehow touching the face of God. The problem then becomes, despite the difficulties of the text, can we readers rise to the challenge and try to comprehend this extraordinary work? This concludes our exploration of Answer to Job. Our next episode will be on January the 15th. This coming year is going to be very challenging since the acceleration of events and the magnitude and overlap of multiple crises is increasingly evident. This is paralleled by the need to understand the juncture at which we have arrived. A considerable part of the Quest podcasts of the coming year, plus the Quest lecture series, will be devoted to explaining these crises using a number of perspectives. Historical, economic, political, social, spiritual, archetypal and even military. But also to seek deep responses to them. To which end we continue exploring the world's great thinkers and visionaries. There is also the chance of accompanying this quest by joining our Secret of the Golden Flower meditation programme at no cost. I hope you can spread this information to those you think might benefit. As these crises expand and intensify, many more people will seek understanding of the confusing and frightening world we live in. The quest addresses this deep sense of disorientation. I hope you can join me in the new year.